Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Do you want to become insanely successful? Do you want to be the go-to guru in your industry? Do you want to be talked about for all the right reasons? For over 40 years, Kevin Harrington has helped people just like you become significant influencers. Now he's broken the process down in the key person of influence roadmap, and it's yours for free. Just text KPI to him at 727-888-2100. Text KPI to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free step-by-step guide. Text KPI to 727-888-2100 to get the recognition you deserve and experience the success as the go-to voice everyone listens to in your industry today. Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. I am joined, as always, by the inventor of the infomercial and the original shark on the hit TV show, Shark Tank, Kevin Harrington. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Seth, pleasure to be here. I know we got some really cool stuff to talk about today, so I'm going to let you take it away, but great being here. We do. We're talking to Matthew Pollard today. Matthew has been responsible for five multi-million dollar success stories of his own. He's transformed over 3,500 struggling businesses worldwide. He founded the Small Business Festival, which is listed by Inc. as among the top five business conferences in the nation. He's an outspoken small business advocate, rapid growth coach, and international keynote speaker. He's the host of two top-ranked podcasts and the author of the best-selling book, The Introvert's Edge, called A Game Changer by Neil Patel, praised as the real deal by Forbes. Matthew's been in Fortune, Inc., Entrepreneur, CEO Magazine, and is a regular TV, radio, and podcast guest nationwide. Matthew, thanks so much for joining us. Mate, honored to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> now, tell me a little bit about the introvert's edge, because you wouldn't normally think introvert goes with somebody who speaks all over the world, has transformed 3,500 businesses, founded one of the best small business conferences in the country. That and introvert seem like an oxymoron. <laughs> well, I can tell you, if you had asked me if I was going to do all of that when I was 18, I would have been happy just doing a data entry job. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is pretty hard to believe. I mean, it all kind of happened because I had a reading speed of a sixth grader in late high school. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And I convinced my parents that I was going to take a year off to so-called find myself. I think a lot of kids at the age of 18 try and convince their parents of that. Maybe I was a bit of a salesperson back then because I convinced them that it was a great idea. And they agreed to give me a year to go and do that. And I took a job at a real estate agency and lost my job within three weeks. And it was really a couple of weeks before Christmas. And I mean, you can tell by the accent, I'm not quite from the United States. And in Australia, I mean, we have our summer and our Christmas break all at the same time. So no one's hiring. I mean, that we take a month off during that period. So for me, the only job I could get was commission only sales. And after five days of product training and not a single second of sales training, I got thrown onto this road to sell door-to-door telecommunications. It was the only job I could get and it was 93 doors before my first sale. And that's like walking into the first door, having this realization, no one taught me how to sell, getting thrown out, getting sworn at, getting told to get a real job, and then finally making a sale. And me then saying, all right, well, my, while I was excited that I made $70, 
I wasn't willing to do that the same again tomorrow. And I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, even though it's hard, we do the same thing again tomorrow. And that's ridiculous. So for me, I went looking for a solution but for me, all the books that were out there, I mean, I had a reading speed of a sixth grader. It would have taken me a year to read them. So I taught myself how to sell on YouTube. But what I had to do was convince myself that sales had to be a process. Well, long story short, six weeks later, I went from the having no business being in sales to actually the number one salesperson in the company, which happened to be the largest sales and marketing company in the Southern Hemisphere. And then I went on to start all these really successful businesses. So the book is really about this guy who didn't want to be in selling, but ended up mastering it. And for me, the whole idea of the book is really telling some great stories that hopefully you laugh out loud with. At least a lot of the reviews speak to the fact that that is the case, but you just happen to learn selling while you're doing it. And then Matthew, you took it even beyond that because this was all what you did yourself. Then you said, let's get all these small business entrepreneurs together on a regular basis. How did that next step happen for you with these small business expos? Definitely. So when I, so all the businesses that I created up until that point, they'd all been in Australia. And for me, when I moved to the United States, what I really decided and what I was passionate about, see for me, I've, I learned I can pretty much create rapid growth out of anything, but, I kind of get bored at a certain point. What I really love is the Play-Doh of, I've got this idea, but how do I get the message right? How do I discover that niche of willing to buy clients? How do I package and price in a way that excites and invigorates purchasing behavior? And then how do I create the sales process to really drive audiences to me, my brand, and, and to buy? And once I've done that, I'm kind of over it. So for me, what I realized is when I got to the United States, that's all I wanted to do. And when I opened up what I called rapid growth coaching, everyone said I was mad. I mean, they were like, it's hard enough to get a coaching client, let alone like telling them, I was like, I want to work with them for a short period of time and that's it. And they said, well, look, there's no way that you're going to be able to make that an affordable model. And I went, well, it's what I want to do. I'm going to figure it out. And I just so happened to, to figure it out in the first year. But the small business festival was really about me understanding what is it that I really love doing. Now, while a lot of people love helping corporations and I totally get that for me, the people that need the most help are the solo entrepreneurs, the people that have one to five staff, the people that are even getting up to the 50 staff that still don't feel in control of their business. They're the ones that need the most help for me. Once you've got 50 plus, why are you still figuring some things out? You're not worried about, you know, paying for the meal that you're going to have tomorrow right? Those stresses are starting to, to leave the building. So for me, that was the group of individuals I really wanted to help. And while I, I gave away a lot of my time over, over the first year going, okay, I, I want to help in as many ways as I can. What I realized is while I go and help this group over here and that group over there, the problem that came up for me was that there was no follow through sometimes on that help. And mm. worse, there were all these silo organizations that I was helping. And for me, while it felt good for the time, I wanted to have a bigger payoff. So I created Small Business Festival to really say, well, there are so many community groups out there that really focus on helping small business as a whole. However, they're so siloed. And if they just got together and worked together, they'd create a better outcome. So Small Business Festival in Austin started off as an idea. And we agreed that if we were going to do it, we wanted to make it a safe place for small business. So no selling. There's a lot of expos that have selling and it just didn't right. work. No pitch. Secondly, exactly. We then wanted to make sure that 
instead of having functional experts, I mean, we wanted that too, but we wanted to have people that actually had succeeded in business. So we bought people like Ryan Dice in, Jamie Masters in, you know, the founder of Ugg Boots, you know, the, the sheepskin boot company, that, sure. another Australian mastermind story. So the, we wanted to bring all these success stories in and talk about real people's success. Well, in short, in the space of 60 days, it went from no brand recognition, not a single speaker, not a single sponsor, to 1,200 people attended. It won proclamations from every you know, level of government, had 100 speakers show up. And it you know, got listed by Twitter as the number two profile to follow for National Small Business Week under the SBA and above Google for small business, which I'm proud about. So was, it, was, this, oh, now, did, was this Australia or in the US or both? Oh, this was in Austin, Texas. So we founded Austin, it in Texas. Austin, Texas. And what was interesting is we founded it there but year two, we opened it up to other markets. We opened it up to Sacramento, California, to Buffalo, New York, and we opened it up to San Antonio, Texas. Yes, and that's how we met. That's how I met Seth. But so the whole the whole growth of the festival came from turning it into a black box and then growing that black box out to to additional cities. And now it runs in multiple cities. Last year, it had over five thousand people attend, and it runs multiple. As I said, in multiple cities. Across, the, across America all during the same week, which is National Small Business Week. So it's a busy time for me. Beautiful. But it, it helps a lot of people. I mean, it was 5,000 small businesses that got free advice from people that would normally charge a fortune for their time because during that week, everybody got aligned with that message and realized it was, it was the week to give back. So are you taking, now where's, what's the next step with the Small Business Festival? <laughs> well, Small Business Festival is what I do to give back. So. We grow it along the interest that really comes out of it. So for us, what we look for is, you know, we look for government partners that really want to get behind it because for us, what we find is a lot of governments, they want to create a thriving small business community. And there are so many groups like non-for-profit lenders, co-working facilities, chambers of commerce, and even the economic development teams themselves do so much work, but they're all isolated and the same people keep showing up. So we look for a city government that really wants to bring this to the city. And then generally they find us a partner that we work with. For instance, Bristol, Tennessee launched last year for our last festival. And they brought in a partner that had, was a non-for-profit with six members that had tried to help small business for years before and no one really took notice. And then they put the festival behind them and it just took off. So it really creates this non-government program that allows everybody else to kind of come under one central banner instead of competing. Yep. Now, in other cities, we work with like an entrepreneur group or a non-for-profit group and then find the government support later. Okay. But we really look for a group of individuals that come to us and say, we want to make this happen. And we've been lucky enough. I mean, I spoke at the National League of Cities event uh, last year and we had nearly 25 cities put their hand up and say, you know, this is something that we want to bring to our city. So it, it will grow organically, uh, you know, but for me, now we've got some great people that run that company and, and keep it going. So I'm, I'm lucky enough that it was a project that I launched, it's going really well. And, and now I, I'm focused very much on getting the, the message of the introverts edge out and supporting a different underserved community. But that's, as I said, I, work, I like to work on underserved communities most of all. Super, I, are you still selling on YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I give a, and you know, my YouTube channel, there's thousands of videos in there. I, you know, every, every month I get one of those, wow, you've, put, you've had this many watch, uh, hours watched on, on your YouTube channel. Predominantly, you know, I have ridiculous amounts of content I put out on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. For me, you know, everything I learned when I was starting 
came from people giving free information on YouTube. And, you know, while I, I know that they were trying to sell me something at the end, I got huge value from that. And I am where I am today because I got access to that content. I mean, one of the biggest focuses for me was moving my book to Audible because since Audible existed, I spent a huge amount of time consuming books like crazy on that platform because for me, reading doesn't work. But when I listen to it, for some reason, I just retain so much of what I've heard. So for me, I wanted to make sure my book got on that. So for me, I spent a lot of time producing videos and making sure my content is available around helping small businesses realize that while it's great to be good at your functional skill, there are things outside the scope of that you absolutely need to have that will allow you to be successful. Because otherwise, a lot of the times, these people with great skills get forced into that commodity box, leaving them only priced to differentiate themselves on, which is a horrible place to be. Yeah. So introverts edge, we go from, I, I, I think, We've got a connection here simply because I don't know if you're aware of this, but Kevin Harrington's family of companies also owns all the intellectual property rights to everything Zig Ziglar ever created, who was probably really? one of those people that you were reading, not reading, but maybe watching on YouTube. So I think there's a connection between your introvert's edge and obviously the decades and decades of Zig Ziglar content and what Zig taught, because obviously, as Zig is so famous for saying, timid salespeople have skinny kids. You might, what might interest you is, so Zig Ziglar was actually an introvert. So that one of the pieces of content or lots of content that I resonated with was actually Zig's. And I actually interviewed Tom Ziglar, um, Zig's son on my yeah. podcast, The Introvert's Edge. Yeah. He had these amazing stories around Zig and how he needed to go into a quiet room afterwards. And it blew my mind because I've been surprised by how many thought leaders are in the sales world are actually introverted. And they don't talk about it. And, you know, when I launched the book, The Introvert's Edge, everyone said, no, one's, no introvert's going to buy a book on selling. Well, yes, they, they do, but they want to learn selling in a way that doesn't teach them extroverted behaviors. And what Zig did really well is intertwining introverted behaviors with, and, um, because he kept linking to strategy. And see, for an introvert, when they learn selling, they can't be dynamic. What they need to do is they need to grab hold of a structure and a process and then they hold on to that. You know, I've worked with so many companies that have both introverts and extroverts and they both benefit from a process. But an extrovert just wants to go back to doing it off the cuff. An introvert realizes it's the only reason why they're selling and they double down on perfecting it and perfecting it, which is right. why so many of our most elite salespeople yep. are, are introverted. Yeah. No, I I think it's, I think it's great uh, what you're doing. And, um, you know, I just think it, I always wonder coming from Australia, because I've been there a ton of times now, how did you adapt coming into the U.S. where you've got 200 cities, give or take, right? Versus Australia as a marketer and business person, et cetera. What, tell me what it was like the first time getting here. You know, it was interesting. So, in Australia, you can make really good money in one city. I mean, you're talking about a country that has the same landmass, give or take, to the United States, but it basically has the same population as Texas. The good news is that all of that population is isolated into a couple of cities. So in Melbourne, Australia, where I'm from, you can build a multi, multi-million dollar business just focusing on that marketplace. In America, to do that, you'd have to be in a city like New York or LA. 
yeah. to be in a smaller city, then all of a sudden, I mean, that's why so many companies have presences in so many cities, because I mean, you guys have got nearly, well, I think now more than a hundred cities that people can dominate in, but it's getting harder and harder, which, you know, Seth and I sort of, the reason why we get along so well when I came and spoke in Buffalo is he's always helping people in Buffalo, New York understand that while it's important to be successful in your city, you have to realize you're leaving so much money on the table if you don't look at the online community and start to tap into your ideal clients in the global economy we now live in. Now, if Seth had have told me that 10 years ago, I would have said, look, Seth, I had to tell you, mate, but you're just too scared to pick up the phone. Be willing to do the hard work. Stop hiding behind your laptop. <laughs> now I'm embarrassed to say that, but that's literally what I would have told him. Now, when I moved to the United States, I had a huge learning curve. The first learning curve was realizing that in Australia, we have what's called tall poppy syndrome, right? So if somebody's seen to grow above the rest, we may not speak out loud about it, but we don't like that. So we want to bring them back down. Now, there's a huge government support system and, you know, great if you're one of the masses. But as soon as you start to grow up, we actually don't like that that much. <laughs> so if you start talking about, I've obtained this success and I want to show you the way to get there yourself, the only thing we hear is, who's this guy telling me how good he is? Right. So because of that, you have to taper down the messaging quite substantially. In the United States, people, when you first start a business, now that's kind of changed in a lot of cities now because of the entrepreneurial culture. But when you want to start a business, most of the time, a lot of your friends aren't cheering for you. They're telling you how risky it is and telling you to go back and get a safe job. And when you right. tell them you're struggling with something, they're not going to say, hey, try this or speak to you know, Seth about that. They're going to say another reason to go back and get a safe job. But right. once you've succeeded, they're like, oh, master, show me the way, right? And they're happy for you to talk about what you've achieved because they want to find their way to that place. So the messaging has to be really, really different. But what I've learned is that in America, you have to focus online to be successful. But really these days, the way the markets evolved, you have to do that anyway. So when I was in my, in my previous businesses, the first thing I would always focus on is how do I create a unified message that separates me from everyone else? So when you go to a networking event, you don't say the number of people that I hear when they're at a networking event say I'm in branding and I'm like, well, you just commoditize yourself. That's the definition of bad branding, right? You don't want to go saying I'm a ghostwriter, I'm a branding expert, I'm a copywriter, I'm a this, I'm a that. You want to have a unified message like mine the rapid growth guy, people are like, I'm sorry, what? I've never heard of that before. What exactly are you? Something that intrigues and inspires, then understand your niche because these days in a global economy, you can speak to your exact ideal customer. And in the past, I used to telemarket for those people. These days, you just put messaging out online to attract them. And then you want to have strong stories that speak to those people to help them understand that you understand them better than they understand themselves. Yeah. So in America, you have to be even better at that because if you want to disseminate your message online, I mean, face-to-face -face networking or a podcast interview like this, I could get 30 minutes online. I mean, Seth will be better at the statistics than I am, but you're talking half second before they're like, oh, click, I'm going to go to the other screen and you've lost your opportunity. Gotcha. Excellent advice and excellent examples. Um, for those of our folks who are watching this and listening to this, Matthew, where is the best place for them to go to get the book, to get rapid growth coaching, to learn about the Small Business Festival and to consume all things Matthew? 
<laughs> well, obviously, I mean, if you type in Matthew Pollard into any social media, you'll find me. There'll be great free content there. You can, the one thing, my publisher hates me when I say this, you don't have to buy my book. You can go to the introvertsedge.com. And because I'm so focused on helping introverts, I mean, that's why I purchased the introverts, um, National Introverts Week. For me, it's all about helping introverts understand that they can really change their own viewpoint around sales. So what I did is in the first chapter, instead of putting a load of fluff that sells the book, the seven step process to selling, that exact structure is there. If you do nothing more than just grab that seven steps, write down what you're currently saying and fit it into that. Now, if it doesn't fit, don't try and figure out how to make it fit. Throw that out. You shouldn't be saying it to customers. And then look at where the gaps are. Fill those gaps, which a lot of times will be asking better questions and telling great stories, value articulated stories. If you do nothing more than that, you'll double your sales in the next 60 days. And you can do that by just going to the introvertsedge.com and downloading the first chapter there. Awesome. We will send everybody to the introvertsedge.com. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Great meeting you, Matthew. You too, mate. You soon. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. Have a great day. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.